Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring The Michael McCoy Show. All right, everybody, it's that time again. Yes, it is. You are listening to The Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio, and I am your host, Michael McCoy. This week is just going to be me, myself, and I. So if you guys are expecting any other guests, I apologize. You're going to have to sit here and listen to me for a whole two hours. So if you're able to do that, God bless you. Uh, happy Monday. Hope everybody had a fantabulous weekend. Uh, there were some good sports being played from the last time you and I, I, I would say spoke, but we, we, <laughs> we really didn't speak. But since the last time... Uh, the show aired last week, and so we're going to go over a few things. It's uh, foot, I'm sorry, it's week two of the NFL football season. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about that. We're going to talk a lot about the NBA playoffs, Western Conference Finals, the NBA Awards, the All-NBA team that was uh, announced last week, what LeBron had to say about that, and his uh, MVP explanation, evaluation, whatever you want to call it. That guy kind of looks into stuff a little bit too much. But we'll get there. Uh, the NBA Eastern Conference Finals and how the Heat are keeping my faith in the NBA because I went on a rant last week on Twitter about how the NBA sucks because it does. It really does. I'll get into that later. And then, of course, the Miami Hurricanes football program coming away with a huge victory on Saturday at Louisville in Papa John Stadium, convincing fashion, just letting everybody know that, yep, we're still to you. We're still here. And uh, no matter how insignificant or irrelevant you think this program is, you got to pay attention to us. And then we'll talk about the FSU game coming up. It's hate week. It's rivalry week for the Miami Hurricanes football team. But let's get things started. And uh, I, I, I want to really start things off by saying and giving my, you know, sincerest condolences and, you know, thoughts and obviously prayers to James White and his family. And if you guys did not hear about the news that surfaced yesterday, his father, a captain, or I should say former captain, uh, on the Miami-Dade County Police Department passed away yesterday morning. Very tragic incident uh, in an accident. He was a passenger in the vehicle that was struck and the driver in the vehicle was his wife, which is James White's mother. And uh, last I checked, she was in critical condition at, I'm not sure what hospital, but obviously a local hospital down here in Miami. And so Tyrone White passes away yesterday and James White got the news. Obviously he did not play in the game yesterday over in Seattle. We'll talk about that game in a little bit where New England traveled across the country. So everybody, if you have a moment and if you believe in prayer, please lift the White family up in prayer because they definitely needed devastating news. And I'll try to bounce back from that as best as I can, but I thought it was only appropriate uh, to bring that up because, I mean, it's just, just tragic news. And 2020 has hit everybody in so many different ways. But um, now with that being said, uh, Let's, let's get into some NFL talk, man, because yesterday was pretty much a bizarre day, a really, really bizarre day. In terms of injuries, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of injuries. I mean, there's always injuries in any sport. There's always injuries in the NFL. There's injuries every week, every game. But yesterday, there were some big-time names that went down, some notable injuries, a lot of young faces, and um, 
you know, I, you, you just have to wonder if these injuries were due to no preseason. I know everybody likes to talk about the preseason and, you know, how long it is or whatever. But, I mean, I'm one of those guys that feel it should be shortened, but not canceled, you know, not, you know, completely eradicated. This year was different. I completely agreed with the NFL not having a, uh, a preseason to avoid any type of transmission of COVID-19. I get that. But you just have to wonder because your bodies aren't in football shape yet. So this is pretty much the preseason for a lot of teams. This is week two, guys. This is week two. And so um, some notable injuries to guys across the NFL yesterday. One, Saquon Barkley went down and did not return in the game against the Chicago Bears with the Giants. Uh, I believe they lost that game. Um, he went down with an apparent knee injury, maybe an ACL. If so, he'd be lost for the season. Nick Boza, same thing. Knee injury, did not return to the game in which San Francisco won at New York. We'll talk about that game in a little bit. <clears throat> or not that game, but that situation a little bit more after these after I finished rattling off these names off this list here, Nick Boza goes down apparent knee injury, uh, left ACL. Jimmy Garoppolo in the same game turned his ankle. He did return. Okay, uh, Christian McCaffrey. You 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 sense a theme here? All these big names: Barkley, Boza, Garoppolo, McCaffrey. He did not return after an ankle injury. Devontae Adams went down with a hamstring injury. Uh, cornerback Byron Jones of the Dolphin of the Dolphins goes out with a groin. Drew Locke with a shoulder injury, starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Solomon Thomas, another guy in that Jets Niners game, goes down with a knee injury. He and Nick Boza were both carted off, did not look good. Sterling Shepard of the Giants goes down with a toe injury. I wonder if he needed a tow truck. Get it? Tow truck? In no, never mind. All right, so I mean. Again, uh, due to the preseason or not, who knows? We'll see. I don't know. But um, the Niners were kind of complaining about after that game, the, the turf at the MetLife Stadium, it was the first time that a game was played on that turf. Brand new turf was installed, and they said that it felt very sticky. It felt sticky, and, you know, uh, the players were complaining about it, and obviously you see what happened after, you know, or what transpired throughout the game, a bunch of injuries. But – I mean, that's something to talk about because the, the, the Niners got to go back there next week and play the Giants. So we'll see what happens throughout the week with that turf. But um, on to other news, the Bucks win. And why do I want to talk about that? Well, because Tom Brady was looking to avoid uh, an 0-2 start for the very first time in his career. That's pretty crazy when you consider that he's been doing it since like 1950. I'm just kidding, obviously. This is, it's only his 21st year in the league only his 21st year in the league. But um, I want to talk about how much he looked, how much different he looked in comparison to week one versus his week two showing. And I also want to talk about Bill Belichick's week two versus week one. Um, so let's do that. Let me go ahead and pull up these stats. I have them right here. So yesterday, Tom Brady goes up against the, where is it? I had it right here. Tom Brady goes up against the lowly and woeful Carolina Panthers defense. And, um, whoa, like, whoa, right? Let's, uh, let, let, let's talk about that because that, that, that game, Brady looked a lot better. He did look a lot better. And so the stats for that game are right here. If my internet stops 
tripping on me. We can get to it. I had it pulled up, and this happens to me at least once. Here we go. So the Bucks pull it off at home, 31-17. to 17. They score 21 first-half points, get shut out in the third quarter, but uh, end up pulling away in the fourth with 10 fourth-quarter points. Tom Brady goes 23 of 35 for 217 yards, one pick and one touchdown, right? Looked good. He really did look good. He looked he even looked bad at week one. But remember, the narrative going into the season, one of the big stories is how is he going to look without Bill Belichick? How is Bill Belichick going to look without Tom Brady? So on and so forth. So, uh, I mean, you compare his numbers uh, uh, next to Teddy Bridgewater, who threw for 367 yards, going 33 of 42, only incomplete nine passes, but he threw two interceptions. So um, Brady was fortunate to have Leonard Fournette handing the ball, well, handing the ball off to Leonard Fournette, I should say, 12 times for 103 yards and two touchdowns. So Brady's numbers weren't all that, but um, I don't think he looked that bad in in either week. I mean, you compare that to his week, to his week uh, one versus the Saints, where they had to throw the ball a lot because they were down. In that game, Tom Brady throws for, uh, he went for 239, two touchdowns, two picks, in 23 of 36 passing. So that's that. Um, let's, talk about, let's talk about the Patriots. Let's talk about the Patriots. One, because Cam Newton is my starting quarterback in fantasy. <laughs> and the other, because I had them winning the division. A lot of people like the Bills, and rightfully so. But I had the Patriots because I still think they're the best team in the division. Cam Newton is, is Cam Newton if he's healthy, okay? He's not having a bad year. He only has one, one touchdown thrown on the year with one interception, but he's ran for four touchdowns. So, I mean, would you have him on an early MVP list? I don't know. The Patriots are one and one. They did lose yesterday. So the Bill Belichick watch, uh, Patriots almost pulled it off, man. They were one play away, similar to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, except the roles were flipped. The Patriots this time were trying to score from inside the 10-yard line. And uh, they came away, weren't able to do it. They lose 30 to 35 on the road. No 12th man this time for Seattle. Nobody in the stands in that game. But Cam Newton ran for 47 yards on 11 carries. Like I said, he punched the ball into the end zone twice on the ground. He threw for 397 yards on 30 of 44 passing for, uh, yeah, a touchdown and an interception. He only got sacked once. But um, Russell Wilson, 21 of 28, 288 yards, five touchdowns and an interception. Wow. Uh, but I bring this up because, like I said, uh, uh, Belichick, he's doing it, man. He's still doing it with a quarterback that not named Tom Brady. And uh, you really can't peg this loss on anything Belichick because the Patriots look good, man. They had a chance to win. They didn't because they got denied at the end zone after a uh, QB keeper by Cam Newton. And I mean, it just didn't work out that way, but they, listen, they had a chance to win it at the end. It was a really fun game to watch. And so that's that. So uh, Patriots are one and one. Bucks are one and one. Belichick is one and one. <laughs> and Brady is one and one. So that's, that's how things are shaking out in that regard. Um, it's no longer the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, NFL guys. Uh, it, it's no longer that quarterback type of league. It's now a Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, uh, Dak Prescott, you know, 
Trevor Lawrence, if he comes in next year, does his thing. Maybe Tua Tonga Bailoa, if he comes and does his thing. The NFL is changing, man. It, it, it's, it's no longer those guys. And we got to start paying attention to guys like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, I should say. Sorry about that. Why do I want to bring him up? Because yesterday, he kind of made some history. He is second in NFL history when you talk about uh, quarterbacks with the most rushing yards through two games in the last 20 seasons. I got that stat from ESPN. No, I did not come up with that off the top of my head. So uh, second on this list, and there's only two other quarterbacks on this list. I'll go in order. So with quarterbacks with the most rushing are through two games in the last 20 season, Michael Vick heads that list with 175 yards in two games. He did that in 2006. Kyler Murray ran for 158 yards the first two games this season. Vic again in 2010 ran for 140 after two games. After two games in 2002, he ran for 128 yards. And Lamar Jackson is fifth on this list. Last year, after two games, he ran for 126 yards. Um, let me tell you what I find funny with, I, with just under three minutes left to go in this segment. I want to tell you a couple of things that I found funny this week in the NFL. And one of them was the ending to the Kansas City-Los Angeles Chargers game. So, I mean, really quick. Mahomes does his Mahomes magic thing and he gets the Chiefs into field goal range setting up a Harrison Butker uh, kick that sends it into overtime great he just he does just that kicker converts a 30 yard field goal but this is what I found funny though all right so KC finds his way back uh, I'm sorry they find their way to the Los Angeles charge 35 yard line Harrison Butker lines up his kick and makes it but there's a flag on the play so the kick doesn't count. <clears throat> the kick does not count. KC gets backed up five more yards. I think it was like a, an off, uh, I'm sorry, not a false, uh, uh, not an offside, but a false start. So Bucker has to kick it again. This time from 58 yards, he nails it. But wait, there is a Los Angeles Chargers timeout. They try to ice the kicker and Bucker kicked it again from 58. This time it counts, no penalty, no timeout, game over. He hit three in a row and I found that absolutely hilarious. The other thing that I found funny in week two of the NFL was seeing Gardner Minshew's stat line after the Jags lost to Tennessee 33 of 30. He went 30 of 45 for 339 yards, three touchdowns, did throw two interceptions. But the first thing I thought was, what the hell is Blake Bortles doing right now? Remember him, Blake Bortles? who threw for 25 touchdowns in both 2012 and 2013 as a UCF Knight. Um, threw only 16 interceptions in that span, two years. But he threw for over 3,000 yards in both of those years. So he leaves UCF after his redshirt junior season, all right? He's drafted third overall in the NFL over former Heisman Trophy winner Johnny Menzel, who went 22nd. We all know why he went 22nd. Teddy Bridgewater, who went 32nd. Derek Carr, who went 36, we're now in the second round. Jimmy Garoppolo of my Niners went 62nd. And then also guys like Aaron Murray and A.J. McCarron, who I actually thought was going to have a pretty decent NFL career. A.J. McCarron, um, you know, so Bortles gets drafted ahead of all of these guys. And I'm thinking, why? Because of what he did at UCF? Like, come on. I, I just think that GMs kind of overthink things sometimes. And I knew the guy was not going to be good, just like you knew, just like I knew that Jamarcus Russell was not going to be good. I knew Jamarcus Russell wasn't going to be good because the only reason he was drafted was after a 
great performance in a bowl game in which LSU torched a pitiful Notre Dame secondary, and I think it was a Sugar Bowl back in the day. It's the only reason that guy got drafted when he did. But Gardner Minshew started his career, okay? The guy started his career at Northwest Mississippi Community College, right? Won the National JUCO Championship in 2015, transfers to East Carolina in 2016, then spent two years there before enrolling at Wazoo as a grad transfer in 2018. Goes on to break the Pac-12 single-season record for most passing yards in a season uh, with 4,776. Can you say Mike Leach? Uh, that record was previously, previously held by Jared Goff. So he goes in the sixth round, guys. Sixth round with a pick 178 overall in the 2019 draft. And as a Jag, all he's done is completed um, 285. And this is in 2019. He's completed 285 passes. He had a 60.6 completion percentage, threw for 3,271 yards, 21 touchdowns, six interceptions, passer rating of 91.2, 233 yards passing a game, six wins, four, I'm sorry, three fourth quarter comebacks and three game winning drives. Wow. Just wow. Blake Bortles, that's supposed to be you, my friend, the next quote-unquote Ben Roethlisberger. What a slap in the face to Ben that was. And lastly, the last thing that I found funny in the NFL this week was my fantasy situation because I am winning by 14 points. But my opponent has Alvin Kamara tonight. Do you think I need some luck? <laughs> uh, we'll be right back, guys. Got a lot more to talk about. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs in the next segment. You've been listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Keep it locked. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, guys. Thank you. We are back on the Michael McCoy Show. Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio. Thanks for sticking around with me throughout that last break. Talk a little bit of NFL. What's going on with my fantasy situation? Jesus Christ. Again, I need Alvin Kamara to not score 14 points. Do you think that's doable? I'm only up by 14. I don't have anybody going tonight. My opponent has Alvin Kamara. The bad thing about that is that Michael Thomas isn't playing. So it's probably going to be a lot of Alvin. Hopefully not. We'll see. <clears throat> but if I do lose... I'll be one and one. I did beat the defending champ last week, so I got that going for you. But in any event, uh, let's talk some Western Conference Finals, man. L.A. Lakers, not the Clippers. Not, it was not an L.A. L.A. battle how everybody anticipated, how everybody wanted, how I wanted. We're going to talk about that later. But I want to talk about some Western Conference Finals right now as the Lakers are taking on the Denver Nuggets Surprising a lot of people, man. The Nuggets coming off of two Game 7 series in the first round and second round. Um, almost had it. Almost had it. They almost had it last night. But, eight, oh, my God, what, what, what a game that was, man. What a game. Anthony Davis, AD hits a game-winning three-pointer in the final seconds. Buzzer beater. Shot clock going down, game clock going down as the clock expires to lift the Lakers to a game two victory over the Nuggets, winning 105 to 103. The Lakers are now up 2-0 in that series. 
Anthony Davis scores all 10 clutch time points for the Lakers. And the first thing I could think about is Michael Jordan would never, <laughs> would never let that happen. What the heck was LeBron doing? Was he making the right play? Was he making the right basketball play? Come on, guys. Come on, guys. I'm, I'm just, look, I'm not going to get in. I'm not going to get into the Michael Jordan LeBron thing. I've done it enough. But um, this is, this is for, for a guy that's the best player in the world, where were you for those 10 points? I get it. You got to defer to the guy that's hot. But you're the best player in the world. And Anthony Davis scores all 10 clutch time points for the Lakers? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I just thought I'd point that out there. But I want to talk about <clears throat> the MVP voting and the first team uh, all NBA. And I mean, wow, man, because <sighs> which one should I pick first? Let, let's talk about the first team NBA. Let, let's talk about that. Let me bring that up because I have it in my notes right here. And so um, here it is. Here we go right here. Actually, no, I want to talk about the MVP voting because LeBron had a lot to say about that. And you want to know what, guys? I agreed with him. I agreed with him. I really did agree with him. And everybody knows I'm a Bulls fan. Everybody knows that my favorite player of all time is Michael Jordan. Can you blame me? I mean, come on. If you're gonna, if you're gonna love something, why not love the best? And that's exactly what he is. He's the greatest player of all time. Don't at me. I don't want to talk about it. You're wrong. And it's just as simple as that. If you don't think that he is the one and only greatest player of all time, it's just that simple. It, it, we're not gonna get into that conversation. But um, I have some notes in front of me about the MVP voting. And um, so just in case you don't know, players receive 10 points for a first place vote, seven points for a second place vote, five for a third place vote, and one for a fourth place vote, okay? Um, only Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James received first place votes. Those, those were the only two guys that received first place votes. Giannis received 88 of them. LeBron James received 16 of them. LeBron James had a problem with that. He was offended. He was, quote, unquote, pissed off that uh, he only received 16 first place votes. He wasn't mad that he didn't win the MVP. At least he didn't say so. Okay, at least he didn't say so. But he was, he was really perturbed and irritated at the fact that he only received 16 votes. I guess I should take that as saying you really think that the – gap between the best player in the league and myself is that big like it's that substantial and I'm thinking well I guess okay you know like the first time I, I saw LeBron's reaction and mind you this is something that the media asked him okay and I want to point that out because I think it's really important to do so because LeBron is not the best with his words he really isn't the guy is not good with you know what he says when he says it to the media and that goes back to his post-game press conference after the Miami Heat lost, what was it, the 2010-2011 NBA Finals to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, ever since then, that I can remember, he has not – his his choice of words is not the best. Let's just put it that way. But you want to know what? He was spot on in talking about, you know, how things are going with, with the voting. Um Again, Giannis receives 88. He receives 16. 
And James Harden received, I'm sorry, he finished third in the MVP voting. Luka Doncic finished fourth. Then it was Kawhi, Anthony Davis, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, so on and so forth. I'm not going to go through the whole list. So, um, yeah, the, uh, Le- LeBron received 16 first place votes, and he had an issue with it. And, again, he was asked by the media, you know, how he thought about it. He said he was pissed off and I already told about why. I already talked about why. So my initial reaction was, come on, LeBron. Come on, dude. Like, really? Like, you, you're going to, again, like, you're in the NBA playoffs right now, and you're going to talk about this? But then I had to remind myself, wait a minute, Mike. Take off your – because I'm not the biggest LeBron supporter, okay? And I try to be, guys. I really try to be because there's no reason to – dislike somebody that you've never even met right and i'm not even talking about lebron as a player oh lebron as a player i have an issue with but lebron as a person sometimes he just gets under my skin but then i have to remind myself i don't even know this guy so i get it so i tried to remove that lebron dislike hat or cap off right and and see it from a non lebron hater point of view right and I don't hate the man. I just, for lack of a better phrase. So um, I had to think about it. I said, wait a minute, Mike. First of all, he was asked the question why, what he thought about the first place voting and the MVP and all that stuff. So it's not like if he came out and tweeted it or came out and whatever, although he did tweet something after he was asked. That's a different, that's a whole different story. So um, he said he was pissed off, had an issue with it. And I had to sit back and think and say, you know what? I get it. I get it. Why? Because Michael Jordan would have been pissed off too. Everybody just had a chance to see the, you know, that documentary of The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. And if you didn't already know it, going up, going into that 10-part docuseries, um, Michael Jordan found a way to motivate himself over the smallest things. Okay, I'm surprised it wasn't covered in the documentary but i read a story on how michael jordan pissed himself off going into a regular season game because he found out that the guy that was going to be guarding him wore the same type of shorts that he did yeah that he wore the same type of shorts i guess to the game or 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 at some point or whatever and the guy that was guarding him you know, I, I mean, rest in peace. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know what happened to him after that game, but if Michael Jordan was mad at you going into a game, chances are you didn't have a good job. You didn't do a good job guarding him during the game. And you just, you know, probably don't want to talk about that game ever again in your life. But it just goes to show you the lengths at which Michael Jordan would go to to find motivation to perform well on the court, right, on the hardwood. So I couldn't get mad at that. Because Jay would have done the same thing. And by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. And if Michael Jordan felt that he was the best player in the world, on his team, in the league, and he only got 16 first place votes, then you want to know what? LeBron has every right to be upset. Anybody has the right to be upset if they're asked and express their, uh, their feelings towards said subject. I get it. So I get it. And and LeBron was right, man, because the voting has changed. Because what's your definition of an MVP? My division, definition of an MVP is literally that, the most valuable player in the NBA. 
Now, what pisses me off about this voting is because there's no clear-cut uh, formula or format on which these voters, <clears throat> excuse me, on which these voters go about placing, you know, casting their ballots. Um, sometimes it's the guy with the best year. In this event, it was Giannis. He did have a better year than LeBron, okay? Le Giannis did more with less, okay? Giannis is not playing with AD. He's not playing with anything close to AD. He's not playing with anything like that. He's playing with a, a, a an average coach, okay? Because Bud could use uh, uh, some help in, you know, late game situations and how he goes about managing the roster throughout the game and just strategy overall, all right? Le uh, Giannis isn't playing with a full deck of cards, whereas LeBron has a guy that I consider to be the best big man in the NBA, because to me, that's exactly what AD is. All right. Um, and a guy who just so happens to be a top three to five player in the league. That's exactly what AD is. Now, some can argue a that LeBron isn't even the best player on his team. And that goes to AD, but that that's another day, another time. But you look at MVP voting and I mean, one year it's, the guy with the best season. One year, it's the guy with the best stats. Rarely is it the guy that really means the most to his team. Like, okay, the year that Russell Westbrook should have won the MVP, which I think it was the first year that he averaged a triple-double, if I'm not mistaken. I think I think it went to James Harden there. I can't remember. But um, the Oklahoma City – Thunder did not make the playoffs that year. And I'm sorry, but call me crazy. I don't think that that should be a prerequisite for a guy winning the MVP. All right. It rarely happens. I get it. It rarely happens that a guy that doesn't make the playoffs is even considered for an MVP. But this year, it really was. Okay. But mind you, Russell Westbrook won, not one, I'm sorry. He averaged a triple double for three seasons in a row. Okay. That's just, that's, that's crazy. You couldn't do that in a video game if you tried, all right? You couldn't. And he did it in real life, in the Western Conference, three years in a row, convincing fashion. It's crazy. It's, it's just, that just doesn't happen, right? So one of those years, like I said, I believe it was the first year that he averaged a triple-double. OKC missed the playoffs by a shade. I think it was like a game or a half a game, something like that. It was crazy. They, they, they should have made it. They didn't make it. You're going to sit here and tell me that Russell Westbrook wasn't the best player in the NBA that year? Come on, man. I don't think that something like not making the playoffs, especially when you miss it by a hair, should disqualify you from winning that award. It's a regular season award. He was clearly the best player in the NBA during the regular season. Punto y aparte, how, 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 my, how my grandmother says, okay? It's just that simple, period. And so... My definition is of an MVP is what would that team have looked like without Russell Westbrook, right? What would the Bulls have looked like without Derrick Rose? Hell, what would the Rockets have looked like without James Harden? You know what I'm saying? That, that should be. And then if you want to throw in, you know, whatever stats or whatever, but, oh, because you don't make them. I, I just, I, I don't like that. I don't like stat watchers either, Okay. I just, I just don't like it. This year, I think the NBA MVP was uh, awarded correctly to Giannis, okay? Giannis uh, winning the league MVP, also winning 
um, the defensive player of the year, okay? And then I mean, it's just funny to me because um, you, you look at what Damon Jones says, and by the way, he tweeted this. He said, after seeing the final numbers of MVP voting, I'm nauseous. 16 first place votes for King James out of 101 voters. We need to figure out a better system here. This is downright disrespectful. We need more transparency in this process. Damon Jones, you are a pom-pom, okay? Not a pom-pom carrier, not a cheerleader. You are a pom-pom. Guy, come on. I mean, talk about LeBron D-Riders. This guy's the leader of the bunch. Like, dude, grow a pair. And you're a grown man. This guy is just the biggest LeBron homer I've ever seen. And I just, it just gets on my nerve when I see somebody root so or pull so hard for, uh, it's just, ugh, I don't want to get into that. But, um, yeah, man, uh, LeBron had a point. LeBron had a really good point about being pissed off. But the part that kind of had me kind of like weird was, all right, LeBron, you finished second place. Let, let that be your motivator. You finished second place. Nobody ever remembers second place. Nobody remembers who finished second place in a 2000 and whatever Summer Olympics uh, in a 100-meter sprint. We all know Usain Bolt won, and that's it. Nobody knows who finished second. So draw motivation from that, okay? Don't – you actually had to <laughs> – you went in there and looked up that you had 16 first place votes. Like, I think that's a little bit stretching. And that, that's peak LeBron right there. But, I mean, to each his own, man. Um, we'll see. We'll see what he does next season. We'll see what what happens throughout the rest of the playoffs. Um, but I, I, I did kind of want to put out there that the NBA should kind of start thinking about having regular season awards versus playoff awards because – all of these awards that we were talking about or that, that I'm going to talk about in the next segment, um, they're regular season awards. They're regular season awards, and I think that the NBA should try to, try to figure out some type of system to have postseason awards um, as well because the NBA MVP got kicked out of the playoffs, eliminated of the playoffs in five games in the second round, and that's just like, wow, like, whoa, Okay. And um, I don't know. That's just something. Do you think that should be the case? Do you not? I don't know. You want to talk about it? We'll do it. I don't care. Whatever. At me. But um, it's time to take another break here on the Michael McCoy Show. Cheers 6 channel 145 Slam Radio. So I'll be right back after this break after paying some bills and uh, catch you on the flip. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit stoptextsstoprex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I get it. Your desk has been there for you. Holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. We'll be back with The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. 
really, really, it really apologist. comes down to. I'm gonna it, make an apologist image for you, bro. Because it, everything that I say, you're like, oh, but LeBron had to do this, and if he, he had to jump over a car. Isn't LeBron's the king? And again, LeBron jump over the Empire State Building. He probably could, but why probably. would he do it? But why doesn't he jump over the Empire State Building to win a slam dunk contest? Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, guys, we are back here with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Thank you for keeping it locked with me and listening to me and only me. No guests today, just a bunch of Michael McCoy for two hours straight. We're entering the third segment of the show here. So, again, appreciate you keeping it locked. Still talking NBA. Uh, talked about LeBron in the last segment and how he felt about how he was slighted with only 16 votes uh, finishing second to Giannis Antetokounmpo in NBA MVP voting. Again, he didn't feel that Giannis didn't deserve it. He just felt some type of way about only receiving 16 first place votes. And um, hey, I, I get it. I get it. The man wants to be the best at everything, don't we all? And uh, he found motivation in that. So I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't blame him because if you feel like you're the best at anything, then I mean, feeling second place or feeling that somebody. Or being upset, I should say, that somebody doesn't feel that you are the best at what you do. You know, you want to prove them wrong. So, hey, no argument here on my part. I mean, I I would love to see a, a pissed off LeBron play. That's part of my reason, part of my reasoning as to you know why he gets on my nerves sometimes as a player because I feel that uh, that he 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 needs to play a little bit more pissed off, to be honest. So. In any event, um, we, I want to talk about uh, the NBA awards for this year and give you my little insight on that. And I want to talk, continue the conversation, well, not conversation, but the uh, me talking, you listening, about how LeBron completely has a point in how the voting for, you know, these first-team All-NBA, second-team NBA, third-team All-NBA, rookie teams, and, you know, MVP voting, how it's just jacked up. And I got some great examples here. That I'm going to get into, but first let's talk about the 2020 MVP awards. And as I already stated, Giannis Antetokounmpo wins the 2020 MVP. Last year did the same thing, so back-to-back MVPs for him. And uh, he also won the Defensive Player of the Year award. Michael Jordan also did that. So Giannis in really, really good company, uh, winning both the 2020 MVP and 2020 uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert, I should say, run it the past two years with Draymond winning it before that. Um, the Rookie of the Year, rightfully so, goes to John Morant. You know, I, I was kind of starting up some trouble on Twitter a couple weeks ago, uh, before or a couple months ago, I should say, before all this COVID stuff happened, because Zion Williamson, Zion Williams came back and was tearing it up. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? Um, he missed a huge chunk of the season. What happens if he comes back? tears it up for the you know remaining games and uh what do you think uh, do you feel that he should win uh rookie of the year because of him playing so well i mean the guy was averaging uh like over 20 in like 
15 minutes, it seemed like, because he was on a minutes restriction. But um, that wasn't the case. John Morant wins the award, rightfully so, with seven, averaging 17 points a game, <clears throat> three, well, you should call it just four rebounds a game, and a nice seven assists per game, shooting 47% from the field. Keep your eyes on him. The kid's electric and has a really, really bright future for the Grizz. Um, sixth man of the year goes to Montrez Harrell. That after Lou Williams run it for the past two years, uh, the Clippers winning it as a team for three years in a row, and Jamal Crawford won it in 2016, okay, as a member of the L.A. Clippers. So Montrez Harrell wins the sixth year. I'm sorry, wins the NBA Sixth Man of the Year award, shooting 58% from the field, averaging 18 points per game and seven rebounds off the bench. That's a nice little resume for Montrez Harrell, who – um, is always in the mix with some some things he probably shouldn't be mixed up in <laughs> in terms of starting trouble with guys from the other team. But whatever, he likes to muck it up. Uh, the Clippers have guys like that. Most improved player 2020 goes to Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans, averaging 23, call it 24 points a game, 23.8 if you want to be uh, exact. Six rebounds a game, four assists and shooting 46% from the field. That's a guy that I felt would have done or should have stayed under the year at Duke. Um, but then again, you look at it and he gets drafted by the Lakers, <clears throat> excuse me, gets traded. I feel the Lakers kind of gave up on him a little too early because, I mean, obviously look what's happened. But then again, you kind of have to make that trade, right? If you have a chance to get AD and they want – Brandon Ingram, I mean, you kind of got to make that happen. So, um, but yeah, at, at, at the Lakers have had a couple guys in the past couple years that, you know, they leave their their franchise and they end up, you know, blossoming some 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 pretty solid players. Uh, Ball is another example. Lonzo Ball is another ex uh, is one example. Um, Brandon Ingram, another one. Uh, twenty twenty. Let's move on to twenty twenty Coach of the Year, Nick Nurse. 53 and 19, 7 and 4 in the playoffs, career record of 114 and 45. Mike Budenholzer won it last year. Nick Nurse, so many guys could have won this award, just like most improved, um, just like six man. But I mean, coach of the year. I mean, first, <clears throat> excuse me, first one that pops into my mind, uh, Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra, my God. And we're going to talk about the Heat. <clears throat> because I have to. We're going to talk about them in the next segment because I have to. But Eric Spolster, man, is talk about doing the most with the least. And no slight to that roster, but that's a team full of full of role players, guys. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I hope Heat Nation, the culture, doesn't take that as an insult. I think it's more of a testament, okay, um, to everybody on that team, to that program, to, to the way they run things there, and guys just buying in. Uh, no, I'm not becoming a Heat fan. No, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. I'm just giving credit when credit is due. And like I said, I'm going to go and dive in deep into their situation in a little bit. But that's after I finish talking about how jacked up the NBA is with this voting system, man, and again, how LeBron had a point, like, what are you looking at? How, how does Mark Gasol win Defensive Player of the Year in what was it, 20, whatever year it was, but then finish 
second in all NBA defensive teams. How does that happen? Like, come on, man. How are you the rookie of the year and finish second team all rookie? How are you NBA MVP and finish second all NBA? Like, that's exactly what he's saying, okay? That's exactly what he's saying. And um, sometimes you look at this list that I'm about to <laughs> that I'm about to talk about, and it happens, and it's ridiculous. And so here we go. So year by year, all NBA teams, and it changes. Like he said, it changes, and it's it's a shame because uh, it, it seems like there's no 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 uh, no credibility, no credibility, no lack of no. I'm sorry, no accountability. I should say, and it's just ridiculous. So you look at it. And a lot of it has to do with this age of positionless basketball that we're in, but I don't care, man. Like, I, I, are you are you gonna have an NBA first team of just the five best players in the league, or are you give me are you going to give me an NBA first team of the best point guard, the best shooting guard, the best small forward, the best power forward, and the best center? Or since we are in the age of positionless basketball, two guards, two forwards, and a center. Because let's 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 just face it. I mean, guys can play multiple positions now, and I get it. It's kind of always been that way, but now more so than ever. Okay, so <clears throat> 2019, 2020, all NBA first team. All right, two forwards, Giannis and LeBron, two guards, James Harden, Luca, and a center, Anthony Davis. All right, I'm not going to go through second team, third team. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I only want to talk about first teams. So, and by, well, for, for just for this part right here, I will go ahead and say that the NBA second team was Kawhi Leonard at forward, uh, Nikola Jokic at center, Damian Lillard and Chris Paul were the guards, Pascal Siakam was the forward. Third team, Tatum and Butler, the forwards, Gobert, the center, Simmons and Russell Westbrook were on the NBA third team. And I disagree with Russell Westbrook bring, being on the third team. <clears throat> But in any event, uh, let's go last year, last season, 18-19, right? Okay. Uh, Giannis and Paul George, NBA first team. Nikola Jokic, uh, the center. Uh, Giannis and Paul George were the forwards. And then the guards were James Harden and Stephen Curry, all right? Now, I'm going to just rewind several years back, several years back. And this is kind of when the NBA, this is before positionless basketball, something that I mean, you got to give credit to Eric Spolstra. It's kind of something that he started pretty much. Positionless basketball, and now it's just in vogue now. But I'm going to take it way, 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 way back, okay? Way back to a time where guys were – it was more of a position thing, but then you kind of started to see the trend and how different it was. And by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio. So let's take it back. Let's take 2004-2005 NBA All-First Team. Two forwards, Dirk, Tim Duncan. Center, Shaq. Allen Iverson and Steve, and, and Steve Nash were the guards. Okay, obviously Steve Nash, the point guard. Allen Iverson, the shooting guard. We all remember Allen Iverson started his career as a point guard. Larry Brown does the right thing, moves him to shooting guard. It's kind of what I feel like the Bulls should have done with Rose, but that's why I'm talking about it. And that's why Thibodeau's the coach. So whatever. All right. Um, let's take the second team all NBA for that same season, 2004, 2005. 
And this is what I'm talking about. You're trying to tell me that you couldn't find the second best point guard in the NBA behind Steve Nash to get on this list because this list can very much vouch for all NBA first team, but I'm sure they were second team for a reason. Kevin Garnett and LeBron James are the forwards, right? Okay, fine. Cool. Amari Stoudemire is the center. Ray Allen and Dwayne Wade were the starting guards. And I have a problem with that. I'm a traditionalist. Call me whatever you want to call me. And this has nothing to do with me being a Bulls fan and not thinking so highly of the Miami Heat. It's not about that. But pick one. Pick a shooting guard. Ray Allen or Dwayne Wade. One or the other. Gilbert Arenas finished third team All-NBA that year. And if I'm not mistaken, he was a starting point guard for the Wizards. Why, isn't he, why wasn't he on the NBA second team that year? Okay. Kobe Bryant finished third uh, uh, finished on the third, uh, I'm sorry, was third team All-NBA that year. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Maybe he was hurt that year. I can't remember, but he finished third. But I, that, I have a problem with that. I have a serious, serious, serious problem with that, especially when the All-NBA third team has Tracy McGrady at forward. Listen, I get it. <clears throat> like I said, guys have been paying multiple positions for a long time. The NBA is interchangeable for a long time. But at no point was Tracy McGrady exclusively a small forward. At least I don't recall that. That guy was a small. That guy was a, that guy was a shooting guard his entire career. His and could he have played small forward? Absolutely. Hell, the guy could have played point guard. Okay, but a forward, along with Sean Marion. Okay, that's just one example. Another example. All right, is let me go ahead. Uh, two thousand two, two thousand three. Perfect example. Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, the forwards. Shaquille O'Neal, the starting center. All-NBA first team 2002-2003. Starting guards, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady? Come on, man. I just, I don't like it. So it's like, okay, you're picking the two best guards. You're not picking a point guard, and you're not picking a shooting guard. You're picking the two best guards. Okay, but then you have the very next year, or not the very next year, but... Uh, that same year you had Jason Kidd, all NBA second team with Allen Iverson as the other guard to complete, you know, the guards for that team. Second team was Ben Wallace at center, Chris Weber and, and Nowitzki at the forwards. Come on, man. Jason Kidd, if he was the only point guard, pure point guard, that you noted between the first team and second team, why not just put him on the NBA first team for that year? Because he clearly was the best point guard. Clearly was the best point guard, okay? How about this? How about you have, if, you, if you're so hard up on having the two best guards, okay, the two best guards and, you know, whatever, how about adding another position to the all-NBA first team as a sixth man? Why not that? Why not that? Why not? And again, this is a perfect example, 2002-2003, where Jason Kidd finished All-NBA second team, okay, was the only point guard listed between the first team and second team because Kobe Bryant and Tracy McGrady were the guards selected for the first team. Why not have six guys on that first team, have five starters and a, a reserve guy? I mean, we have a, 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 an award for All-NBA, I'm sorry, for six man of the year, why not add a six spot to the All-NBA first team? Why not? Why not? 
Because, I mean, again, Kobe Bryant and Tracy McGrady, I get it. They were great. But there's there's no flow here. There's nothing. These, these voters are not being held accountable. And you want to know what? The only thing that I do agree on with Damon Jones and what he said, how there should be some transparency, is so you can call out these voters on how ridiculous their, their, their reasoning is. Okay? And, and, and here's another perfect example. 2001, 2002, okay? The year just prior to Kobe, Kobe Bryant and Tracy McGrady uh, being named to the All-NBA first team in 02-03, Jason Kidd was All-NBA first team in 01-02 with Kobe Bryant as the other guard, then Shaq, then McGrady at forward, then Tim Duncan at forward. Come on, man. You just had Tracy McGrady finishing All-NBA first team in 2002-2003 as a guard. But in 2001-2002, he finishes All-First team as a small forward. Again, we're talking prime Tracy McGrady here. The same Tracy McGrady that scored 13 points in under 30 seconds as a member of the Houston Rockets to beat the San Antonio Spurs in a regular season game when the Spurs were up 12 with 30 seconds left and McGrady scores 13 points in 30 seconds to win. That Tracy McGrady, he was a shooting guard, guys. He was a freaking shooting guard. I don't care what anybody says, shooting guard. But you have him as a forward in 0102, but then a guard in 0203, both first team selections. It's just, it needs some work. And I get what LeBron's saying, and that's my beef with that. And I'm out of time for this segment. So we'll be back again on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio. Keep it locked. We'll be right back. I get it. Your desk has been there for you. Holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Hey, man, if, look, if they pick up two Aniga Manuel Apolla too, I'll, I'll be fine with him. But I'm just looking. I'm looking at the different angles. It does. You I don't call know. him that. I call him Tunga Vailoa. Whatever you want to call him. Listen, I don't know if they're 100% sold on two Aniga Manuel Apolla. Tonga Vailoa is the next quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. How can you get that name so perfect? Tua Nigga Manuala Tua? I can't do it. I'm done. Tonga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuala Pola. Tonga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuala Pola. Tonga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuala Pola. Tonga Vailoa. See? That sounds much better that way. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, guys. Thanks so much for sticking around with me on that last break. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. And we're going to keep it basketball-centered here, talking about the Eastern Conference Finals and the Miami Heat. 
I mean, Heat are going up against the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. That series is now 2-1 after the Heat took a very, very quick and commanding 2-0 lead up until they didn't. Game three, Boston kind of settled in, put their foot on the pedal. Actually, I should say kept their foot on the pedal. And uh, that series is now 2-1. So there's, you know, there's a lot to talk about here. I'm going to briefly talk about that series, but talk more about the Heat and why I'm a fan of how they play. I really am a fan of how they play because, holy crap, the NBA has completely turned me off. The NBA is, is, is just, it's a joke, man. The NBA sucks. And you want to know what? It hurts me to say because it's my baby. And, you know, growing up in Miami, anybody, everybody that grows, that's, you know, gone to school here and been here their whole life knows that, you know, in middle school, there's no football. You know, I'm a football guy. Football is my first love, but I wasn't going to wait until high school to play sports. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and play basketball in middle school so that I could do something. Go to high school. I said, you know what, this basketball thing, I'm pretty good at it, and it's fun. I'm going to still play. I'm going to still play basketball. Never, never, never played a down of high school football, and I regret it. But uh, football is my first love. But I played a lot of basketball, and I still do. But um, there's a way, there's a certain way that the game is played, guys. It's supposed to be played. And I get it. I get it. I really, really do big time get it. The NBA has changed. Like the NFL, it's changed, okay? But there are some things. There really are some things that, um, in terms of basketball, they shouldn't change. They should not change. And one of those things are, is, is the amount of freaking three-pointers that are chucked up every game, the amount of times that a big man with guard skills, but is still a big man, decides to... Play like a guard. That stuff eats me up. I can't stand it. I cannot stand it. And I'll tell you what, man, it's ruining the NBA. And this is exactly why college basketball is a lot more enjoyable to watch if you like watching basketball. If you're a purist like me and you like watching basketball, then college basketball is the way to go. College basketball is the way to go, man. It really is. And I don't want to hear anything about, oh, you know, they're not pros or whatever. They're all going one and done anyway. So what, what's your problem? You might as well learn them now, learn to watch them now, and, and get to know a little bit about them before your favorite team drafts them. I mean, listen, college basketball has it all. has everything that the NBA has. Ex- and you want to know what? The refereeing is 10 times better. Oh, my God, the refereeing in college basketball is 10 times better. But um, I want to talk about what pissed me off watching the Western Conference Finals before I talk about the Heat and how they're kind of keeping me – how they're kind of keeping faith in myself being an NBA fan because I've had it up to here. I've had it up to here with the NBA, and I'm 99% done with that league. I really am. I really am because it's just – it's disgusting. It really is disgusting. So uh, I, I I went on a Twitter rant a couple of days ago after watching game seven. So here it is. On the five days ago, five days ago, I tweeted. 
Here it is. All right. So the NBA, and again, this is today's Monday, the 21st. This was five days ago, right after game seven, right? Okay. The NBA has become a joke, a sham, and disgustingly hard to watch. Fundamentals are gone. I watched a heavily favored team go down in flames, shooting and missing jumpers and putting the ball on the, and, and not putting the ball on the floor to try to get two points rather than three. I'm obviously talking about the Clippers here. They kept shooting threes and missing. When the ball's not falling, you go to the rim, but not anymore. And this will continue to ruin the game because the youth are watching and will incorporate this trash into their game. I'm sick and my team didn't even lose. Live by the J, die by the J. Obviously, I mean jumper. Denver didn't live by the day, live by the J and die by the J. And that's why they're advancing. Amateur hour, and I added the LA Clippers. Did you guys watch that game? Did you watch how hard? I mean, look, you can go to your local freaking LA fitness where there's a bunch of scrubs playing ball and watch the same thing, okay? NBA has turned into, NBA basketball has turned into five guys standing around the three-point line, even if that fifth guy is a damn seven-footer that should be, that's being covered by a six-eight guy that should be dominating the paint. And they're literally just swinging the ball around the three-point line. And you eventually you'll have a cutter here, cutter there. But you want to know what? That's why the Clippers lost. That's why the Houston Rockets suck. And everybody wants to blame Michael Jordan for being a bad influence on the NBA, going one-on-one -on -one and everything. But uh, that wasn't as bad as an influence on the game as the damn Golden State Warriors were. And no, this is me not hating on the Warriors because they actually make their shots, okay? They actually won championships. And you do not have jump shooting teams winning championships. They're the exception to the rule, along with that Dallas Maverick team that won the NBA title over the Heat in, you know, several years back, year one of the big three era, LeBron, Bosh, and Wade, all right? Rarely do jump shooting teams win it, all right? A jump shooting team is not going to win the NBA Finals this year because the Lakers are not a jump shooting team. The Heat are not a jump shooting team. The Nuggets are not a jump shooting team. Of the, te of the Final Four that's left, you could probably say the Boston is the one that shoots the most jump shots, all right? But all of those teams, for the most part, they manufacture their points. They get points in the bucket. They, I'm sorry, in the paint. They got cutters. They got guys that can get into the lane. They do not solely rely on the, on, on the jump shot, on the three-point ball. So yet again, the NBA, or not the NBA, uh, the basketball gods are proving that you want to play that ridiculous style of basketball? You're, it's not going to amount to anything, Mike D'Antoni, James Harden. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. The Warriors are the anomaly. They're the exception to the rule because they have what's called the best shooting backcourt in NBA history with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time, the best shooter you have ever seen, the best shooter I have ever seen. And why is he the best shooter ever? No, not because he drains three after three after three, but because of the way that he does it. This man can pull up after any dribble off of any move and put up a silky, a silky sweet jump shot, okay? And it goes in half the time, all right? That's why he's the best shooter of all time, because he can pull up off of any dribble, off of any move, 
uh, sidestep, step back, crossover, coming off a screen, uh, set shot, walk into it, you name it, he, he has it. He can make any shot known to man, all right, even in the tunnel on the, uh, 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 coming out of the locker room, which he was known to do at Oracle Arena. Obviously, they don't play there anymore. They play in the Chase Center out in, you know, in San Francisco, but that's why he's that dude. And then, oh, he's flanked by a guy that, what, what did Clay, take, Clay Thompson score, like 37 points in a quarter one time? If I'm not mistaken, the guy dribbled the ball eight times one game where he scored like 50-something points or 60-something points. He put the ball on the floor eight times. That's how much of a great shooting temper those guys are. Clay Thompson was the best shooter on every team he's ever been on until he had Steph Curry as a teammate. So when you have guys like that on the same team, and oh, by the way, they won championships, you can get away with it. Not when you're the Houston Rockets. Not when you're the Houston Rockets. It just, it just it will not work that way. All right. By the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy show here on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio. I went on to say in my little Twitter rant, all right, how uh oh I lost it. But anyway, you you guys get to you guys get to where I'm coming from. The the Clippers were down and they were not hitting their shots and they kept chucking threes to the point where Paul George hits the side of the freaking backboard. What is that? That is a horrible brand of basketball to watch. Never at one point that I see them realize, oh, I'm an NBA player. The shot's not falling. We need points. We need them now. These guys are, have been all NBA first teamers before. With as sorry and soft as these NBA refs are and with the whistles that are just very fragile nowadays. You don't think you would have gotten some type of call if you're going to the basket? Your name is Kawhi Leonard. Your name is Paul George. Okay? Yes, you would have. Yes, you would have. Jump shooting teams don't get those calls because you shoot jumpers all day. At least that's how it should be. And never not once did they decide to pound the ball on the floor and get to the cup. That's the exact opposite of what the Miami Heat are doing right now. That's the exact opposite of what the Denver Nuggets are doing right now. Okay? The Heat are such a joy to watch. And it hurts me to say that because I can't stand that team. You know, I'm a Bulls fan. But, uh, oh, my God, they're such a joy to watch, man. They play the right way. And, again, they're buying into this culture, this belief system in each other that it really doesn't matter how we win. I just really want to win. You got to be really lucky to have a collection of guys like that, okay? Your scouting has to be on point. I mean, the Heat are, are, are the example of what an NBA franchise should embody. From top to bottom, they buy in, okay? Their scouting has to be on point to be, to have the guys that they have on the team right now buy in and really believe in a system. There's no me on that team. The supposed star on that team doesn't even play like one because he turns it on when he sees that his team really, really needs it. He defers at will, okay? He sees Duncan's got to go on, go ahead and shoot. He says Tyler Hero's got it going on, go ahead and take it. He sees Gordon's got it going, go ahead and go. Bam's got it going, fine. I've seen box scores with Jimmy shooting horribly, uh, finishing the game with 12 points, 8 points, but... Uh, you know, you see him in the fourth quarter, and there's a whole bunch of other things that he does to affect the game. 
tip inbound passes like he did to end uh, game two that results in, you know, clinching, game clinching buckets to seal the victory, stuff like that. Those, the Heat, let me pull up some stats here because I have some stats here. Let me, let me see how much time I got here at the end of the segment because, I mean, this is, this is, this is legit stuff. This is legit stuff. I got three and a half minutes. So I'm looking at the uh, three-pointers attempted on average per team in the regular season this year. You want to take a wild guess as to who led the NBA in three-pointers attempted per game? You already know who it is. It's the Houston Rockets with 45 three-pointers attempted in a game. They hit 34% of them, okay? The NBA leader in three-point percentage made was the Utah Jazz. They hit 38% of their three-pointers. You want to know who was second in the NBA in three-point percentage? The Miami Heat. The Utah Jazz literally hit 38% of their three-pointers. The Miami Heat connected on 37.9% of their three-point attempts this season. The Heat only averaged, and I say, me saying only is weird because 10, 20 years ago, it would have been like, what? You're taking 45 three-pointers a game? What? You're taking 20 three-pointers a game? Nobody took less than 28 three-pointers a game this year, and that was the NBA. I'm sorry, that was the Indiana Pacers, last in the NBA, taking 28 three-pointers a game, Okay. And they connected on 36% of theirs, which, is in, which isn't bad, all right? But the Heat were pretty much in the middle of the pack. Let me not say the middle of the pack, but they attempted 35 three-pointers per game, which was good for ninth most in the NBA this regular season, okay? Um, that's 10 less than the NBA leading Houston Rockets at 45 three-pointers a game. The Rockets only hit 34% of their three-pointers. And the worst team in terms of three-point percentage this season in the NBA was the Atlanta Hawks, 33.3%. The Houston Rockets were 24th. There's 30 teams in the NBA, guys. That team is garbage. And they will always be garbage with that system. Okay? Mike D'Antoni may not be back next year. I don't think he is, so that's probably the end of that. But wherever he goes, this system will follow. And it will be a non-winning system. My Bulls... Okay, my garbage Bulls finished 22nd in the NBA, and they hit a higher percentage than the Rockets did. By decimal points, but they still hit a higher percentage of threes than the NBA uh, leading Rockets in terms of, I'm sorry, the NBA, uh, the team that led the NBA in terms of three points, three pointers attempted per game at 45.3. That's no way to win. That's no way to win. And the Heat are showing the NBA, they're restoring my faith in how, in being an NBA fan. Because I'm telling you, man, the NBA is just hard to watch with how quick the whistles are, how soft the freaking league is in terms of these fouls, and just how, it's, it's, it's a turnoff. It's a turnoff. When you have a guy like AD taking five three-pointers a game, I love me some Anthony Davis. But damn it, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, Joel Embiid, there's no reason why you need to be out there shooting three-pointers six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a game, my guy. You don't. You don't belong out there, okay? You, you, you do not. You look at the teams that are now in the NBA, uh, in the Final Four in the NBA, and where they were throughout the year in terms of three-pointers attempted, okay, the Heat, 
are the first ones on that list. They finished ninth in three-pointers attempted uh, per game with 35. The Celtics were 13th with 34 three-pointers attempted. Uh, let me see here. The Lakers were 23rd in the NBA in terms of three-pointers attempted per game with 31. And then you have – what team am I – oh, the Nuggets were 26th. With they only attempt only quote only attempted thirty point six three pointers per game. That's your final four, ladies and gentlemen. That's your final four teams that do not live and die by the three, and it's never going to change. The Clippers should be ashamed of themselves after that despicable performance in Game Seven. How you were taught in the second grade probably to put the ball on the floor if you know your shots aren't falling. I was really disappointed in Kawhi and Paul George after that. And I just, I needed to voice my frustration because if you're a fan of that, then you're not, we can't be friends. We cannot be friends and we cannot talk basketball. I'll be back on the other side of the break talking some Canes football. You've been listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. We'll be right back. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. (laughs) Corny, groan worthy but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. (laughs) So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. I mean, really, it really apologist. comes down to... I'm going to make an apologist image for you, bro. Because everything that I say, you like, oh, but LeBron had to do this. And if he, if he had to jump over a car. Isn't LeBron's the king? And again, LeBron jump over the Empire State Building? He probably could, but why probably. would he do it? But why doesn't he jump over the Empire State Building to win a slam dunk contest? Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, guys, we are back with the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. And we are going to talk some college football. No, we're not. We're going to talk some Miami Hurricanes football. That's right. If you guys aren't aware, I graduated in December. I'm a proud, proud, proud cane. Get used to it. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. So with that being said, how about them Canes, baby? 47 to 34, Miami makes its way up to Louisville this past Saturday and absolutely kicks their ass in Papa John Stadium in, in front of a pretty decent crowd, COVID considering. Um, they were spread out. They had their masks on. And I was just surprised to see that many people. So we'll see what FSU looks like. We'll talk about <laughs> We're going to talk about the nose in a little bit. But, um, man, those Canes, boy, I'll tell you, going into the game ranked 17th in the country, now ranked 12th in the country. The Hurricanes just let people know um, we're still here. We're still here. And with good reason, because Miami went into that game. A lot of people were doubting them. A lot of Canes fans had a lot, to, a lot of worries 
after a win over the UAB Blazers two weeks ago at home, which was weird. But Miami, by all by all counts, absolutely dominated. They uh, still have a lot of things to improve on. I'm not going to sit here and make them seem like they're a playoff caliber team right now at the moment, okay? Do they have a playoff caliber offense? Maybe, yeah. That offense, high-octane offense. Miami's running 80 plays a game, guys, okay? And when you mix that together with having to run, having the opposing defense to keep up with you for 80 plays in South Florida humidity, if you're playing at home, holy cow, they're going to be huffing and puffing by halftime. They're going to need oxygen tank, oxygen tanks to start the fourth quarter. Miami fans are putting up those four fingers. So listen, some quick stats I'm going to run through and, and some my own little personal uh, overview of the game. Uh, so Miami, let me see here. Okay, so Miami converts 19 first downs. They, they, they tally up 19 first downs in the game. Louisville, uh, Wow, they had 29 first downs throughout the game. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. Considering, well, not really. When you when you figure out how much time uh, Louisville had on the field, I'm gonna get into the time of possession later. But uh, Miami was six of 13 on first on third downs, complete opposite of where they were last season. Miami was, if I'm not mistaken, was dead last in college football in terms of uh, third down conversions, and it was kind of disappointing because at the half, Miami was four of nine. Going into the half, Miami was four of nine, and that means they only cons- they only converted on two first downs for the rest of the game. So we'll talk about how Miami needs to get better in closing the deal, sealing the deal towards the end of the game because, uh, you know, they didn't do a good job of that on Saturday night over in Louisville. But let me just finish out with these stats. Uh, no, first, no fourth downs converted by the Miami Hurricanes. They didn't have to. Uh, they put up 485 yards of total offense, 325 of those came in the air. Derek King completed 18 of 30 passes. Miami put 160 yards on the ground on 30 attempts, averaged 5.3 on the ground. Miami did have 11 penalties for 89 yards, which is a complete opposite from last week where Miami only had two penalties against the Blazers. So some work needs to be, uh, some attention needs to be paid to that throughout this week heading into the FSU game on Saturday, which college game day is here, by the way. Uh, that's going to be two weeks in a row that Miami's going to be featured on college game day. And who knows if Miami wins this game and they're 3-0. and Miami has Clemson in two weeks, guys. Miami has a bye week. And uh, say what you want, but I think it's safe to say that Clemson will be undefeated. Miami's ranked 12th in the country right now. You're probably looking at a top 10 matchup if – all goes how it should and I would think that college game day would want to be at that at at, uh, at Death Valley in um, Clemson South Carolina for that matchup so we'll see but uh, Miami held the ball for 21 minutes and 59 seconds and 21 minutes ladies and gentlemen Miami put up 47 points that's great that's not so great why is it not so great you guys remember when Chip Kelly was running things over at Oregon and they would score in lightning speed? That defense was out there a lot. That's what Miami's going through right now. But you want to know what? It's give and take, guys. For all you Miami Hurricanes fans knee-jerking about how the defense looked out there, guys, do you ever consider that the offense scored two touchdowns in two plays? I mean, come on, man. I mean, really, guys, think about it. Think about 
think about this. Miami scored twice on back-to-back drives on the first play of their drives, all right? Uh, when does that happen? When was the last time we saw a Miami team able to do that? I have the stat. I tell you. I'll tell you what it is. But for everybody knee-jerking about Miami allowing 516 yards of total off of total offense to the, U- to the Louisville Cardinals, 307 of those coming in the air, and 209 on the ground, I get it. That's not a, what a Miami defense is supposed to look like. But since when has a Miami offense looked like this? Miami has never been in an up-tempo. Miami has never averaged 80 plays a game. And that's what Miami's looking to be doing if they keep up at this pace, okay? Um, I'm okay with it. Why am I okay with it? Is it what I want? No, that's not what I want my defense to look like. What if, if, if it's going to have to be a bend but don't break type of situation, I'll be there. I've seen teams win Super Bowls with bend but don't break defenses, okay? I will be fine if Miami has a bend but don't break uh, mentality on defense as long as they show up when they need to. And you know what? They did that a bunch of times throughout the game on Saturday because they were twice in that first half where Louisville was marching. Miami put on their big boy pants in the red zone, and Miami and Louisville came away with two field goals. So I'm all right with that, okay? Um, Louisville converted on four of 14 of their third downs, all right, which is, in compared to Miami, like I said, Miami finished the game six of 13 on third down conversions. Louisville did hit on three of their four fourth down conversions. Uh, they lost two fumbles. Miami forced three turnovers and did have an interception. So, listen, to me, Miami played a complete game, okay? And by complete game, I mean that all three facets of the game, offense, defense, and special teams, looked good, okay? Numbers don't always tell the story. And if you're a stat geek, get the hell off this, just just switch. Because what I'm saying, you're not going to agree with. So don't listen to me, all right? Switch the channel. There's a whole bunch of other choices on SiriusXM you could be listening to right now. But, all right, like I said, when Louisville has the ball for 38 minutes, 38 minutes out of 60, what do you think is going to happen? At home, what do you think is going to happen? Again, guys, Miami scored on two plays on two consecutive drives. Or one play on two consecutive drives, I should say. I'm sorry. With with, with 70 yards. Uh, they were both 70-yard plays. That play by... Uh, like Cam Harris, that run up the right side, which, by the way, the right side of the offensive line seemed to be the money side for Miami on Saturday night because, you know, all their chunk plays on the ground, it seemed to me, came off the right side. And then you had Jalen Knighton, true freshman at a Deerfield, scoring on a 75-yard uh, pass from him coming out of the backfield. There's a stat that I need to pull up about how many times that's happened in the past couple of years. And it's, it's, it's telling. It's telling because – that shows you the mediocrity that Miami has had in, in, in several, in the past several, since, oh, let's call it since 2001, 2002, okay? So check this out. As per ESPN, there's a couple stats here that I think Miami fans will find interesting. So uh, Jose Borregales, and my God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, football gods. Miami finally has a kicker, finally has a kicking game. Finally has a legit punter. I mean, what's I, I listen, you wanna know how bad it's been for Miami football that I'm watching routine plays being made and I'm celebrating them like there's nobody, like it's 1999. 
I swear to God, okay? Because Miami has been failing at making the right simple routine play for years. So now that it's happening, I don't know what to do with myself. I swear to God, it's like a kid at a candy store. You know, I, I'm seeing third down conversions, you know, the right play calls being made. Common sense things going on that should be happening throughout a football game happening. And I'm just like, I feel like I've been robbed for years, okay? And it's just, it's sad. It's, it's actually funny because you shouldn't be celebrating things that are common sense. Yet here we are, life of a Miami football fan. But I have a stat for you. And so, as for ESPN, Jose Barragada tied a school record for the longest field goal in program history, 57 yards. And he made it seem like he does it every day in his freaking sleep. I just found that incredible. And I loved it. Miami has a kicking game now, guys. Miami has a kicking game, a reliable kicker. If Miami had that last year, Miami wins at least two to three more games. But then again, if Miami wins two to three more games last year, Miami may not have De'Aaron King, may not have Borregales right now, may not have Ray Lashley right now. I'm dressing up as Rhett Lashley for Halloween, by the way, for anybody that cares to know what I am going to be for Halloween. I'm, I, I am. And by the way, I tweeted it and Coach Meyer liked it. I found that to be the highlight of my weekend, um, of my Sunday at least, because the highlight of my weekend was his victory that I'm talking about. But uh, – and you're listening to Michael McCoy on the Michael McCoy Show, Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. But the rest of the stat that I want to um, read for you guys is that Miami had two plays of 75 yards, and that was the first time since 2014. That game in 2014 was a home game versus Cincinnati, which I went to. Uh, Miami scored on an 80-yard run by Duke Johnson and a 79-yard pass from Brad Kai to Philip Dorsett. Miami won that game in convincing fashion, 55-34. to 34. And the other stat that ESPN put out for Miami was that 47 points scored in a road game by Miami versus a ranked opponent is the third most in school history. Again, the 47 points scored in a road game versus a ranked opponent is the third most in school history. Miami scored 51 points in 1987 at Arkansas, 49 points in 2001 at FSU, which, by the way, Miami broke FSU's home winning streak in that game by kicking their ass at Doak Campbell Stadium. And, of course, 47 points just the other night at Louisville, winning 47-34. to 34. So, what was the good? What was the bad? I'll tell you how I felt about it. So, I mean, the offense, obviously, highlighting what was good for Miami, okay? Um, I felt that the defense was very disciplined because, listen, Miami fans, for whatever reason, okay, they forgot and they were just knee-jerking. You know what? Let me not say forgot. They were knee-jerking on what they saw the week before and how Mikhail Cunningham put up these video game statistics through the air and, you know, Louisville has a bunch of Florida guys and a lot of speed on their roster. So Miami's thinking, these Miami fans are thinking, oh, my God, our secondary play hasn't been as reliable, even though we're only one game into the season after the UAB win. These guys are going to torch us. Holy crap. Did they forget that Scott Satterfield is a running coach? He likes to run the ball. He likes to run the football. And he's been doing that ever since his days at Appy State, which Miami kicked his ass there too in 2016. Year one of Mark Richt when they went up to Appy State and they just 
shut the doors on them, all right, uh, he likes to run the ball. Same thing last year. They like to run the ball. Miami shut that down, won the game convincingly. Louisville puts up big numbers, gaudy numbers against some school that they played in week one. I don't even know what school it was. It was one of those cupcake games. And so these, these, these fans are knee-jerking. And I'm thinking, first of all, it's, it's, it's just because that happened does not mean that that's their bread and butter. Their bread and butter is running the football, okay? And this is why I feel that the defense was really disciplined uh, with their eyes in the backfield. You know, you have to play assignment football when there's a lot of eye candy, and there's a lot of that in this Louisville offense. And Miami did a good job staying at home, playing their assignment, and not biting on, you know, all this eye candy that Louisville likes to throw at you. So I thought that that was a really good job that Miami did, uh, at least defensively. Um, and not falling for, you know, the tricks that they like to play with the rushing attack. Uh, third down conversion, I thought was awesome. Like I said, four of nine in the first half, they also, they kind of didn't do as great of a job closing out the game with third down conversions because they only converted two in the second half. But then again, Miami had two scoring plays on their very first drive. I'm sorry, on the very first plays of drives on consecutive drives. So, I mean, that probably played a part into that. But they also did a really good job of stopping Louisville on third downs. And Miami was horrible at that defensively last year as well. I know Louisville finished, uh, what was it, 4-14 on third down conversions. Miami, it seems like Miami last season, they were first and second down all-stars. Because even in third and long, you had to hold your breath. That wasn't the case yesterday. I'm, I'm sorry, not yesterday, on Saturday. That was not the case. Miami did a good job getting off the field. Um on third downs. And so I thought that was commendable. Uh, I thought it was also commendable how Miami had an answer for all these Louisville scores. It seemed like Miami marched the ball down the field after every Louisville you know, field goal or touchdown. So that was, you know, the response was, that was nice to see. And then the tight end play, Mallory, Brevin Jordan. Oh my God. That's that's how it was supposed to be ever since these guys signed on the dotted line years ago. Brevin Jordan was a five-star uh, tight end in the country, the best tight end coming out of the country in high school. And Will Mallory is an athletic freak. The guy ran, uh, finished, I believe, third in uh, the state championship meet his senior year in high school in the 110 meter hurdles. A tight end. Third in the 110 meter hurdles. In the state of Florida, sprinting, 220 pounds. That doesn't, that's, I mean, did you see him, what he looked like in the open field on that uh, uh, run after the catch? You know, a play that was eventually called back. I know it didn't count, but it just shows you what he's capable of. I mean, I'm excited, man. You can hear it in my breath. I'm kind of losing my breath here because I want to get everything in before the next segment. But, uh, man, I, I'm just happy. And every Kings fan watching that offense led by De'Ara King, a Heisman, not front runner, but a Heisman contender, at least going into the season. Vegas had him as one of their uh, Heisman hopefuls or whatever. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just stoked, man. And the thing is the offense could get a lot better. All right. The offense could get a lot better because the offensive line can get a lot better. When the offensive line gets a lot better, watch out. Miami already has speed and playmaking ability all over the field. A quarterback who is not, going to make a bad mistake throwing a bad interception. Uh, Derrick King has yet to throw an interception this year. 
And so, and he's mobile. He's quick as a cat. So uh, I'm, I'm going to continue talking about this game on the other side of the break. It's about time I go ahead and take a break. And I'm going to talk a little about FSU football. And we're going to close out the show doing just that. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM, channel 145. Keep it locked. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Hey, man, it, look, if they pick up Tua Nigga Manuel Apollo too, I'll, I'll be fine with him. But I'm just looking I'm, I'm looking at the different angles. It doesn't, you I don't call know. him that. I call him Tunga Vailoa, whatever you want to call him. Listen, I don't know if they're 100% sold on Tua Nigga Manuel Apollo. Tunga Vailoa is the next quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. How can you get that name so perfect? Tua Nigga Manuel Apollo? Tua? I can't do it. I'm done. Tongo Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apollo. Tongo Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apollo. Tongo Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apollo. Tongo Vailoa. See? That sounds much better that way. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, guys. I am back for the final segment of the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. And... I'm not changing subjects. I'm not finished talking about how the Hurricanes were tapping that ass on Saturday night in Papa John Stadium uh, over in Louisville, Kentucky, beating the then 18th-ranked Cardinals. I mean, now 2-0 on the year, 1-0 in ACC play, and it is FSU Rivalry Week. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. You want to know the only problem is it doesn't feel like an FSU Rivalry Week, at least not yet. I have to admit, for the past couple of years, with Miami not having the best of years, really 2017 was the only thing to write home about recently. And uh, FSU not being at the top of their game, it hasn't felt that way. But things kind of change the closer it gets to kickoff. Like maybe Thursday, Friday, definitely Saturday, I'm feeling like, okay, you know what? It's FSU. I, that's how I've been feeling the past couple of years. But when this rivalry was in its heyday, I mean, as soon as Monday came calling and that Monday was here, it was FSU week for five days, full on, and you just felt it. You felt it as a fan. You felt it as a player. You felt it. The whole city felt it. And, you know, the, the nation, that's something that the nation would tune into. I don't care what the hell uh, Oklahoma and you and, and Texas have going on with the Red, the Red River rivalry. 
I don't give a damn what the hell Ohio State has going on with Michigan. I don't give a damn what the hell uh, uh, Oklahoma State has going on with Oklahoma. I don't give a crap what the hell uh, Oregon and Oregon State have going on. And I don't give a damn what the hell USC and Notre Dame have going on. Even when Miami and FSU is down, it's still the best rivalry in college football. I don't give a damn what anybody says because you want to know what? This is how I know. Even with both teams being crappy, everybody still wants to watch that game. Nobody wants to watch Michigan and Ohio State. Whether those, when they're good, okay, great. But if one of those teams is having a down year, nobody's tuning in to watch that. Nobody's tuning in to watch that. People are tuning in to watch speed and athletes across the field, though. They are, because guess what about this Miami FSU rivalry? Even when both teams are down, you're still going to see some playmakers. I mean, look at the last time FSU came down to Miami. That it wasn't a good year for either team. And that was one of the best games of the season. One of the best games of the season. Nikosi Perry leads a comeback. Jeff Thomas scores. Mike Pickney uh, picks off a ball in the red zone. Uh, Nikosi Perry finds Brevin Jordan on the game-winning touchdown. And, you know, the rest is history. That place was rocking. And Miami comes down from, like, 20 points in the second half to win the game, which is hilarious. But in any event, I got to finish talking about this Louisville game. So um, in the last segment, I talked about what I thought was good, what I at least found good about the game. Obviously, the offense and, you know, how they looked. Um, the defense playing disciplined football, not falling for that eye candy that Louisville likes to throw at you. Quincy Roche, uh, specifically, there was a play there in which, you know, he was kind of caught in the middle, but he decided to play. It, it was a play in which Mikhail Cunningham was, uh, you know, coming out to the left side of the formation to the bottom of the TV screen. And it was him and Roche. And Roche, instead of playing the ball, kind of sits back and says, no, 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 I need to play my assignment. So he sits back, takes away the, the lane for, for Mikhail Cunningham either to pitch to or to throw to and relies on, you know, the help from his defense to get to the quarterback, you know. So if, if, if Roche decides to bite and go for, you know, go for broke and go for the quarterback, everything behind him was nothing but green. And there was a Louisville uh, player behind him. This was in the second half, I want to say in the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken. But um, it, it was just good awareness by him. The guy uh, is clearly, you know, a heady player. He was a sought-after defensive end pass rusher for a reason, graduate, graduate transfer from Temple, and has the most sacks out of any active player in FBS football. So um, he was a, a big get, and he's going to be big, you know, for the rest of the season for Miami alongside uh, Jalen Phillips, who had – a good game as well. I mean, you know, they didn't have the amount of sacks that Miami football, I'm sorry, Miami fans are used to seeing, but I mean, you get in the backfield and you make hell for the opposing, you know, quarterback. I mean, you don't always need to have a sack. You just need to make life uncomfortable for them. You're in the backfield. That's all you want. And so um, I thought that the discipline by the defense was good on that. And, you know, in that aspect, and so was, you know, the tight end play, the play calling. Uh, King played very, very well. I mean, that's the MVP right now for Miami. Let's, let's be honest, guys. Derek King, you can either say him or, or Rhett Lashley. Those are the MVPs for Miami football right now. But the bad, 
Uh, Miami had two penalties last week. Miami had 11 penalties on Saturday. There were big chunk plays allowed. Miami's got to do better with that because against Clemson, you don't want to give up chunk plays. You don't want to give up any chunk plays. So, you know, Miami has some work to do. They are going to have a bye week after this game coming up against FSU on Saturday at 7.30, Hard Rock Stadium, prime time, ESPN, game day will be in Miami, and FSU is doing their best to have that game canceled. Even their coach is catching COVID, for crying out loud. And you're listening to Michael McCoy on the Michael McCoy Show, Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Uh, The other not so good that I kind of found that Miami could use some work on was they didn't do a great job closing the game. They really did not. Uh, if you look at the scoring by quarter, let me go here and go ahead and check that out for you guys. So Louisville put up, where is it? Thought I had it right here. The scoring by quarter, Louisville, where is it? I got to pull it up, but uh, let, let me just stick my notes and I'll, I'll pull it up. Here it is. I found it. Miami scores 14 in the fourth in the first quarter. Six in the second quarter. Louisville scores three and three, first quarter, second quarter, six points for the half. Miami was up. Let me see here. Miami was up 40 to 20. That was their biggest lead of the game. Okay. Miami uh, ended their third quarter up 37 to 20. And then they started the fourth quarter with a 40-yard field goal by Jose Borregales. 40 to 20. Louisville scores 14 points in the uh in the fourth quarter. One of them at seven minutes and the other one with two minutes left to play in the game. And uh, that last touchdown went to 2-2 at one. If you look at his stats, you feel like, oh, the guy had a monster game. No, he didn't. He, that's another thing that the Miami defense did well. They shut down all these supposed Louisville playmakers in the first half. 2-2 at well was a, a non-factor in the first half. All of his stats came in the second half and, um, you know, and some of them you could even say came in garbage time. He had a touchdown with two minutes to go, a 19-yard pass from Malik Cunningham. Uh, I've been saying Mikhail Cunningham. I apologize. Last year it was Mikhail. Now it's Malik. Make up your mind, guy. But, uh, yeah, Louisville scored two fourth-quarter touchdowns, and you can't have that. I don't care how much you're winning by. You can't have that because, you know, that's a bad habit. It's, you know, bad habits start that way. And you just don't want to make it a bad habit that's hard to erase. So it was 40 to 20. It should have stayed with Louisville having 20 points. Okay. So Miami's got to work on that. And um, yeah, that, that, those two things pretty much. And oh, the third down conversions in the second half. Again, Miami was four of nine in the first half. And they ended the game 6 of 13. So I'm not exactly sure what happened there. But um, that could definitely use some work. But, uh, my God, the play calling was elite. Uh, the special team play, Jose Borregales did not miss an extra point, did not miss a field goal. And if you go ahead and look at the box score, he was responsible for – where is it? That man was responsible for – for 17 points. For seven, you take away his points, Miami loses that game. <laughs> he was responsible for 17 points. He was 4-4 four four from, from uh, field goals. I'm sorry, 4-4 four four of field, 
Jesus, you know what I'm trying to say. He hit four of four field goals, uh, five of five extra points. His long, obviously, 57 yards school record. But um, it was just – it's such a good feeling to know. And the last time I felt this was probably Michael Badgley, who's now kicking field goals for the uh, for the Chargers in the NFL. And before that, I really can't say. But Todd Seavers had me feeling very comfortable every time he trotted out there. Um, that's how I'm feeling right now with Jose Borregales. That's really how I'm feeling right now with Jose Borregales. And Lou Headley, um, you know, the Aussie punting the ball every time down there, giving Miami's defense great, great defensive field position. And, uh, you know, the offense, the, the opposing offense, the entire field to having, having to score, you know, having to work with to get at, even in field goal range. So Miami special teams has made an improvement leaps and bounds. And this is all by off-season acquisitions. You know, both of those guys were were transfer guys. And, I mean, that's just, you know, that's 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 hats, hats off to Manny for that one. But um, I have yet to look at the box score. Well, I'm sorry, share the box score with you guys, even though you guys have already probably looked at it. And by the way, you're listening to Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145. Got a few more minutes before we close things out. Derek King, 18 of 30 for 325 yards, Three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Beautiful thing. Music to my ears. Cameron Harris, woof. He had a long of 75 yards. He finished the night, nine carries, 134 yards, and a touchdown. Don Chaney, true freshman. That guy is a Mack truck. You look at him right now, he looks like he's NFL ready. He only had seven touches, seven rushes, I should say, for 10 yards, but that guy's going to be a good one. Jalen Knighton ran the ball four times for nine yards. But he caught one for 75 yards in a touchdown. His first career touchdown as a hurricane. Brevin Jordan led the way receiving for the Canes. Seven catches, 120 yards in a touch. Uh, Will Mallory opened up the scoring for the Hurricanes. He had one catch on the night for 17 yards, which, was, like I said, was a touchdown. Mike Hardy, two catches, 30 yards. Mark Pope, four catches, 64 yards, long of 31. And I have to edit my... Uh, I have to add on, I should say, to the list of things that I found that were bad for Miami. Miami had six drops, okay? What the hell is going on, guys? All right, this is not supposed to happen. Um, these drops are coming from seasoned veterans like Mark Pope. Mark Hardy dropped an interception. I'm sorry, dropped a touchdown on a perfectly placed pass by Derek King. That can't happen. You cannot have that ever but especially if it's a close, a close game, mistakes like that are magnified, all right? We can't have that. We can't have that. And if it keeps happening, you can bet your ass that Manny's going to make some changes. Uh, and we'll see some younger guys. Because one thing Manny's not afraid to do, and he's shown it, is make changes. He's done it with the staff. There's no reason to think he won't do it with the personnel on the field. And Miami has guys to burn at the playmaker position. So I'm pretty sure that if he has to, he will, okay? He'll, he'll make that change. Miami has... Three offensive coordinators on that staff, okay? A lot of guys, uh, former offensive coordinators, obviously now they're not offensive coordinators. Rhett Lashley is the sole offensive coordinator on there, but Rob Likens was an offensive coordinator at one point, all right? I believe Garen Justice also was an offensive coordinator at one point. You know, these guys, they, 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 they know what it's going to take to be a consistent and a uh, – a dominant team. So Miami's not there yet as a whole, but they're getting there. Uh, time to talk some FSU football. Enough about those cards. They're a thing of the past. But 
FSU enters the game 0-1 after a home loss to Georgia Tech. And what was funny about that is that it made the fourth year in a row that FSU lost a home opener. Not only did they lose a home opener, but they lost a home opener to a guy that decommitted from their program in the offseason in Jeff Sims, a true freshman quarterback at Georgia Tech, goes into Doak Campbell, gets his first career win after spurning the Florida State Seminoles as a commit. I thought that was beautiful. But um, they lost that game, and then they turned around and had three players enter their names in the transfer portal. Oh, my God, I thought that was hilarious. One of them being a shifty playmaking right receiver by the name of DJ Matthews. That's a guy that I actually have on my team, guys. I would not have, I would not mind seeing him in the Miami uniform. It's not going to happen. I'm just saying he can, he can play here. He's a guy that absolutely can play. So they lose a guy of that caliber, 5'10", 100 and, uh, yeah, 5'10", 154 pounds. Uh, the guy recorded 36 receptions for 355 yards and three touchdowns last season and started six games in 2018, made 42 receptions and 382 yards receiving and a touchdown again in 2018. FSU has been featured, or is featured, I should say, in ESPN's Ryan McGee's uh, bottom 10 list in the nation. This is what Ryan McGee has to say about FSU right now. It isn't just the unexpected loss to Georgia Tech again, or the bummer season opening loss at home again, or what seems to be a disconnect between would-be star player and the head coach again, or being stuck in a rebuild mode while having to look up at Clemson, the ACC conference darling, again. No, it's all of the above. Again. Holy crap, guys. That's just, that's just music to my ears. FSU is limping into this game, all right? So much so that Miami has a chance to beat them for the fourth year in a row with their fourth different quarterback, and their second coach. And the funny thing is, this will be FSU's third coach in as many years. Jimbo, Willie, whom Miami fired after last year's embarrassing loss at Doak, and now Norvell. But um, here's an interesting, interesting stat for you, and I'll close the show with this. Miami opens as a 10-point favorite, and I want them to win ugly. I want them to win big and embarrass the hell out of FSU. And I'll tell you why it's time for an ass-kicking at home. Because the last time that Miami won by more than one score at home against FSU was 1994. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I will leave you to say go Canes, beat those nose, stomp that ass. And I'll see you next week, man, on the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145. Everybody have a great week and stay safe. Black Lives Ladder. I'm sorry. Black Lives Matter and wear a mask. Have a good day. The views and opinions expressed on The Michael McCoy Show are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.